Hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Coming to you from the studios of 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and right around Australia, on the Community Radio Network, as well as wherever you get your podcasts, each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making the news. This program is made possible with the assistance of the UTS Business School. In the past few years, businesses have become more conscious of the social movements in the wider world around them. Companies have begun signaling their support for traditionally progressive ideas like marriage equality and environmental sustainability. This has been called woke capitalism, where multinational corporations enter the public democratic sphere by taking and amplifying certain political positions. More and more corporations talk about their social credibility, but can we rely on them when the going gets tough? Or are they just following public sentiment to profit? And what does this say about the state of modern liberal democracy? This week, I'm joined for a one-on-one interview with Carl Rhodes, Professor of Organisation Studies and Dean of the UTS Business School, to discuss his new book, Woke Capitalism, How Corporate Morality is Sabotaging Democracy. Carl Rhodes, welcome to Think Business Futures. Uh, Thanks for having me. What was the impetus for you to write this book? Well, I mean, I first started thinking about this uh, three or four years ago, and it was around that time the the, the word woke capitalism had first started being bandied uh, bandied around. And I'd always had an interest in the relationship between business and society and the effect of, of business activities on, on politics and, and on, on other aspects of, of daily life beyond just the commercial activities that businesses were, were involved in. I think what we started to see in the late 2010s, uh, just leading up to 2020, was increasingly things were changing um, and corporations were more and more getting directly involved in political activity. And what was even, again, corporations have always been political, but what was really interesting, there were corporations which historically you probably associate with a somewhat conservative end of of, uh, of politics were starting to get involved in political causes that you might more readily associate with the progressive end of politics. And this seemed really, on one sense, fascinating to me, um, another sense at times, at times troubling as to, uh, but also very curious as to why why was this going on? Why was it that companies um, were now supporting anything from from marriage equality to uh, anti racism um, and and a range of other a range of other, as I said, traditionally quite left wing uh, mm. kind of causes. Mm. And I mean, what would you say is is woke capitalism? Is it when Kendall Jenner hands the Pepsi to the protesters in that ad. Is that the is that a good example? Is it just that it is corporations trading off of these progressive ideals? In some respects, it is, and that example by by Kendall Jenner is is well known, and that's associated. Some people call that kind of. Uh, activity brand activism where brands kind of get involved and and the one by Pepsi is probably amongst the more crude instrumental uh, kind of approaches and and Pepsi got quite rightly uh, 
you know, slammed for for engaging in 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 this kind of thing, as if they can, you know, one of the most important activist protests of our times um, in relation to interracial injustice and violence through Black Lives Matter, and using it to sell fizzy drinks. Sugar water, I mean, yeah. it's you know, I mean, so there is uh, that is kind of one one side of it. I think more generally, woke capitalism is where corporations, and it's particularly very large multinational uh, corporations, somehow align themselves with social movements. And often it is through publicity and advertising, but also through direct direct involvement. And again, it's usually, well, not usually, if it's woke capitalism, it's always things that was uh, somehow seen as, as politically uh, progressive. And often these kind of activities uh, get kind of criticized because corporations are being politically correct or it gets called virtue signaling or um, uh, somehow this some bizarre idea that you get from fairly shouty pundits on the right side of politics that somehow large corporations and their CEOs are kind of weak-willed people who've been uh, you know, unscrupulously conned by left-wing activists to completely change their way of doing things, which seems uh, a somewhat ludicrous uh, <laughs> suggestion. But but nevertheless, it does. It, some people do seem to think that 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 progressive uh, or, or left uh, activists are so influential that they can walk into boardrooms and snap their fingers and people jump. That's not the case at yeah, all. Kind of the underlying thing with those commentators is there is this appetite out there that there is this loud uh, minority of people who are pushing for progressive politics in a very certain way and that businesses are kowtowing to it. Mm. Now, you've written about how in, in your book, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink has this proclamation at one point where he says, society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purpose. Mm. Does that fit with your reading of it, do you do you think that's an accurate sentiment and one that does that then feed into these right wing activists who say, well, you know, like they're just they're just being bent to the will of the people? Well, I mean, in one sense, it, it is correct that corporations will follow what they call a social license to operate, and 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 particularly retail corporations will will pursue a set of objectives that appeals to their customers. But having said that, so if a corporation, you know, like Gillette, is going to get involved in debates around the Me Too movement and and toxic masculinity, as it has done, it's always going to have commercial motives in mind. And therefore, if anything, I think we would suggest that when a corporation backs a progressive uh, stance, on the one hand, there could be many people in that corporation who share that view. But they they wouldn't be doing it in a way that risks their commercial objectives. So in a sense, when a corporation backs a position, you can be fairly certain that it's already quite popular. And so in this respect, we need to remind ourselves that the corporations are the followers. The real activists are the ones who risk their lives, who risk their livelihoods, who march on the streets, who, who really, you know... Uh, take a significant position in terms of altering public opinion. Once corporation comes in, they can perhaps amplify that, that opinion, or with things like climate change, they can perhaps use innovation to solve it. But they are very much, politically, they are always the followers. So when people criticize corporations for, for taking on these positions, 
they're just really not happy with what's happening with society. The corporations are just a barometer of that because they're just they're just backing uh, they're backing the winners. Yeah, backing the winning horse. They're yeah. they're watching where the wind's blowing and they're following accordingly. Now, yeah. when I was reading through your book, um, in a odd way, what came to mind is um, one of my favorite tweets. It's from like 2015, and it says. Basically, the gist of it is, is, insert pop star here, a feminist? Is MasterCard a queer ally? Is mm. this TV show my friend? You know, we live in this particularly refracted time where businesses are often communicating to audiences through the same platforms that celebrities are. Celebrities in themselves mm. are businesses. Other cultural artifacts are now also viewed as fighting for the same attention span of consumers. Do businesses that position themselves in this work capitalist way, do they do so as much as anything to enhance that parasocial relationship that people will look at that brand and say, oh, I can relate to them because they've also taken this stance that I politically agree with? I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's that's certainly uh, a central part of what many of these corporations will do. I mean, look, I mean, one of the biggest examples would be Nike's uh, adoption of Colin Kaepernick, in, in, again, in relation to Black Lives Matter. Again, a really important factor in amplifying this particular cause and Kaepernick himself having, you know, paid significant price uh, for his action of, of taking the knee itself, which I've always found bizarre because, the, the uh, you know, as seen as unpatriotic by certain people, the, the symbolism of taking the knee uh, is it comes from a practice of American soldiers who would kneel da- by the dead bodies of their their fallen comrades, mm. um, and in a sense kneeling for people who have uh, uh, died at the hands of police, African Americans who died at the hand of police, is drawing on a very nationalistic symbol in the U.S., even though it was painted as very unpatriotic. But all of these things are ap- appealing in a sense to a change zeitgeist. I think there's another side of woke capitalism which is much more dangerous here and this is where where corporations push much further into these things and actually start because uh, in many cases the reason for this politics can be put down to a failure of government to adequately deal with with problems and often the corporate response is well okay we'll take over and deal with the issues of poverty or we'll take over and deal with the issues of climate change where others might like myself would say perhaps that's true that governments have failed so let's fix government not like the idea of a hostile takeover is a, a extraordinarily corporate response to to this kind of problem and, a, and an inappropriate one in many ways well, i mean it is interesting that we're talking about this currently because the prime minister has just unveiled a new slogan about his approach to climate change he says that he wants to see change led by can do capitalism and not don't do governments. What do you make of a statement like that? Um, I, once I stopped laughing, um, <laughs> it's it's ludicrous. I mean, it just it seems to me an abrogation of the responsibility of the state. But this idea of small government and this idea of of the market system or the capitalist system, as as he's calling it, being that which should control more and more aspects of our lives. I mean, that all goes back to the kind of growth of neoliberalism, particularly in Thatcher's Britain and and Reagan's United States. But 
the idea that we're still dealing with this and we're still dealing with these neoliberal ideas of small government, I mean, effectively, you've got a set of ideas that were developed in the 1940s that were implemented from the late 1970s to deal with a set of problems of, of that era that are of no real connection to what's going on now. It's just uh, a blind ideological position that's not really considering the real problems that we have to deal with. Mm. And it's also a very interesting one to take. I mean, COVID has seen the state's role expand. All of a sudden, we have seen JobKeeper, for example, programs such as that really keeping uh, not only the economy, but people going. The role of the state if anything, has again expanded in all of these different ways. At the same time, though, we've also seen the business class has not exactly uh, suffered. How does woke capitalism factor into where we've seen businesses only get richer and richer while people have not? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. One thing about COVID, we would, would not have got through this without direct and decisive involvement of government in, in Australia, but at a state level in particular, but also at, at a uh, at national level. And where governments faltered, that's when problems occurred. So you would have thought that the important role of government would have been resurrected at that time. And for some, it has in that sense. But how does this then reflect on woke capitalism? Again, you know, retracting with, with this, if you think about the businesses, Oxfam referred to this period of COVID as being a period of pandemic profiteering. So basically where you had a lot of very large corporations massively increase their profit margins through this period. Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, they all did very well. More locally here in Australia, you think of Harvey Norman also did very well and only very reluctantly returned the, the JobKeeper payments. Mm. Um, so the idea is that, you know, for all of their kind of uh, credentials. Again, the pandemic where people were losing their jobs and losing their homes and in, in, you know, tragic cases, losing their lives. Corporations did very well. Also, by the way, during this time, the number of billionaires in the world increased uh, Mm. quite significantly. This also reflects another important dimension of woke capitalism is Woke capitalism tends to be attached to social causes, but much less so to fundamental economic causes. So you don't see corporations taking activist positions on strengthening corporate taxation rules (laughs) so that corporations pay adequate taxes to be able to fund governments in the provisions of schools, hospitals and and welfare. Mm. Very rare. Mm. You know, progressive taxation so that richer people pay more, more tax, not on the woke agenda. Minimum wage, not on the woke agenda. Universal basic income, income equality, mm. you know, the general explosion of executive and CEO pay. If we rely on, on a particular sector of society to call the shots of politics, there's a whole lot of things that don't get covered. So that's not to say that the things that are supported by corporations aren't important. They absolutely are. But it's something that aligns with a particular set of interests. And it's certainly one that absolutely serves to maintain the economic status quo. And I mean, in Australia, we've particularly seen with the push for marriage equality, one of the faces of the S campaign was Qantas CEO Alan Joyce, who quite actively advocated, you know, he's he is a cis gay man. It's uh, understandable on that element. But it also was good 
business to be advocating for marriage equality. Tell us a bit more about that alignment. Yeah, I mean, again, the issue here with marriage equality, I mean, certainly Qantas and Alan Joyce were... were assisted in kind of promoting and amplifying this course. But again, I think you'll find that they came in and did that once it was fairly well established which way the vote on the plebiscite was going. They certainly made a contribution. But also bear in mind that at the very same time, you know, Qantas was very active in flying through countries and being involved with with nations where gay sex was a crime punishable by death. Mm. There was no activism going on there. So again, you know, while the activism was relevant and of value here, the broader political issues aren't necessarily considered in a corporate sense because there's always going to be this conflict between a kind of political ideology and commercial self-interest and something gets lost along the way there as well. But I mean, if there is a conflict, profit is the winner, like the the business wins out over the politics. So in that case, what then happens to these more progressive politics when we have corporations taking certain ground from them, or maybe not certain ground, but amplifying certain aspects and then closing their eyes to others? I mean, this is, in a sense, why why the subtitle of my book is How Corporate Morality is Sabotaging Democracy, because effectively, if you have large, highly well-resourced corporations, global corporations, you know, defining political agendas, and in many cases, funding political agendas, I mean, on the one hand, if you're a progressive, progressively political, as I am, you know, you think, isn't it great, you know, someone's back in these things. I'm really glad, you know, that I agree with marriage equality. I agree that that, that uh, sexism and racism needs to be addressed. Isn't it great? And so it's easy to kind of get, get hooked into that. But on the broader scale, there's a question then is, you know, is there an undue influence by people and corporations of wealth? And bearing in mind, if you look at the broader history of, of democracy, democracy replaced feudalism. And feudalism was a system where the control, political control was rested in wealthy people and an aristocracy where the rest of us just kind of lived off what fell from, from the, the master's table, if, if you permit. The delightful life of serfs, basically. C- certainly. So do we then risk returning to that if political power shifts to private interests from public interests? So the idea of a separation of the private sphere of individuals and corporations pursuing their own interests freely as you would expect and hope for in a liberal society and public interests of what represents us collectively and what's formed both through the institutions uh, of government, the rule of law, you know, uh, suffrage, parliamentary control and, and these sorts of things. And so the bigger danger, as I see it, is not to take a kind of single issue politics about this, but to look at what it means more broadly for our political system and is it the case that democracy uh, will suffer if all of the uh, power goes to the can-do corporations and not to the can't-do governments, to, to borrow those phrases? Well, I mean, these corporations aren't exactly elected officials. You know, they have... But at the same time, they do have shareholders they have to answer to. These people have a sense that they want to care about something more than just making money and being uh, corporates. You know, I'm reminded of um, what Steve Jobs said to John Scully to make him quit his job at Pepsi. And this is 
the second time, I guess we're having a dig at Pepsi uh, today. Sorry to them. But he said, you know, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? So is there that aspect that the people who are involved in this, the shareholders, have this internal desire to push progressive politics in this way? Or is it simply a cynical business exercise? Yeah, I don't think it's cynical. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's entirely cynical. It could be. I mean, the Pepsi advertising one makes you think it might be cynical. But more generally, you know, if you meet and speak to uh, senior executives, chief executives of corporations who are involved in these causes, my experience is they're absolutely uh, genuine. It's not a question of you know, some evil geniuses who look a bit like Dr. Evil from the uh, Austin Powers film sitting in their secret lairs coming up with conspiracies. That's not Mm. going on. So people are are actually, uh, I believe, genuine in what they do, but also constrained. Um, We seem to have this idea that chief executives are somehow super powerful people who can do whatever they want. They're not. They're constrained by financial markets. They're constrained by shareholders. They're constrained by the board of uh, directors, by society society more generally. So that's not to say the, the view isn't genuine, but at the same time, the decisions that they will make will be very constrained by commercial matters. So the question is, do we want a society where, where that is the case, or do we want to be governed by people who are legitimately charged with a public responsibility, not those who are specifically employed, paid, and rewarded for achieving private responsibilities on behalf of of the owners of of a business. And what about the role of philanthropy, though? That is arguably an act that could be seen as a public good, even though they are diverting attention away from all the wealth that they've got. Aren't they performing a public good when they fund certain, for example, media endeavours, charitable endeavours? We see Twiggy Forrest doing his thing with uh, certain charities regarding um, both... uh, filmmaking, documentary making, but also environmental change? I think, again, it's important not to over-personalize this or to kind of blame individuals. I mean, philanthropy is massively growing around the world, and some say we're in you know, a new golden age of philanthropy, bearing in mind the original golden age of philanthropy back in the early uh, 20th centuries where the robber barons were building libraries and art galleries and so forth. But a new age, so more and more people, are, you know, pledging significant amount of, of, of wealth to philanthropy, and many of that goes to good causes. But if we look at it on a more systemic level, we see that the rise in this new philanthropy goes hand in hand with broadening inequalities. So nothing is fundamentally changing. And to my point before, while you know there can be changes on, on an absolutely local level, the broad economic system which governs our lives in many ways is increasingly characterized by inequality. And it seems that no matter how much money billionaires give away, uh, inequality is is getting worse. So again, yeah, it seems like a good thing, and I, I I'm sure that you know if your house was burnt by the bushfires uh, a couple of years ago, and a philanthropist you know was able to help you get out of a terrible situation, you'd be very happy and grateful about that, as you should be. But still, the fundamental problem is not being solved by that. Mm, yeah, it is that bigger picture thing. It does feel like 
work capitalism is a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing for progressive politics. Or maybe a more apropos image might be when corporations make their logos rainbow coloured for Pride Month in America. Mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and it, it, it can be the wolf in woke clothing, as you described <laughs> it, if there is a sense that um, corporations are doing something deliberately. Also, bear in mind, when we talk about woke capitalism as a broad spectrum of things, I mean, that doesn't mean the motives and actions of every corporation who might be tied with this brush are exactly the same. You know, mm. different people will will do things differently. But at its absolute worst, it is about exploiting people's genuine political convictions for the sake of private gain. I mean, that is the absolute mm. worst dimension of, of woke capitalism. And that is where you get the uh, the wolf in woke clothing. Do you think, though, that it is good business like there is a reason that this is happening and as a result is it something that people in this society we just are going to have to become more and more accustomed to and aware of that these businesses are you know jumping on these bandwagons or supporting this in order to get our business like is this something that is going to continue on going forward in your opinion I think in the near future, I don't see any change to it. And I think that the main reason is that that if we look at, you know, liberal democratic world, there's no political will that's really been shown. Um, I mean, in the US, there are some signs of that, but there's no there's no real political will that has been shown. And I think, I mean, and we have to kind of think too that in some cases corporations can play a, an important role climate change is 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 one of them now bear in mind the reason we have problems with climate change is because of industrial capitalism caused the problem let's not you know the the the, the that that is the reason now can corporations also help solve that problem of course, it's possible that they can. But again, why are they doing that? Is it because of some altruistic sense of public service? Or is it that without doing it, their own future is uh, jeopardized as well? So there is a kind mm. of collective purpose in that. I mean, there's not a lot of money to be made on a burning rock, is there? No, there's not a lot. <laughs> and, there's, and, and, you know, and similarly, there's not a lot of things you can sell to people who have no money. <laughs> you know, so there is a, 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 an alignment there, if you wish. Mm. But again, the question is, who calls the shot? And if you believe in the democratic tradition, as I do, sovereignty over decisions made that affect the citizens of a country belongs with those citizens. And government, no matter its failings, no, no matter how imperfect it is, is the best mechanism we have to ensure that. Transferring political power to the private sector is not a way of maintaining that democratic tradition. Have these gains from the private sector, because this does feel like a fairly emerging facet that's occurred where people are suddenly relying more on the private sector to fill the role of the state. Is this due to a lack of trust in governments, do you believe? No. Well, oddly enough, the whole thing was instigated by governments. Again, going back to the 1980s, through the massive kind of privatization of public services into corporations, you know, we used to have co-ops and mutual funds. They've generally become corporations. But all of this has been driven to a larger 
huge extent by government policies that have enabled it, also through forces of of deregulation and the hope at the time that the enterprising spirit of the market economy would come to the fore and, and, you know, we'd all do better. The the so-called idea of trickle-down economics that, you know, if wealth uh, rose to to the top uh, through the corporate world, through the market mechanism, then somehow it would trickle down and everyone would benefit. Going forward, what would you say to listeners who are aware of these companies who are going out there, who are aware that, you know, you might be incentivized to, for example, if your super fund has divested of coal and fossil fuels and you want to stay in that lane, how do you reconcile that with the knowledge that your business is doing it to get your business, basically? Mm. I mean, that's a kind of individual decision in many ways. I mean, would I put my money in a super fund that was more aligned with a green agenda than one not? I personally would, but I wouldn't do it thinking anything else about their motives. So, you know, that that is the power of change. And also the fact that, as I said before, the fact that corporations would take this kind of action is a sign that things are changing anyway and is a sign that they realise that consumer demands are changing. So I wouldn't worry about that. But don't be fooled into thinking that this is a reason that democratic decision-making over issues of of public concern is no longer important because private interests are going to control it. And in a sense, the real answer to this, I think, is not to look look to corporations. I mean, they're going to kind of do what they, they do within the confines of the laws and regulations exactly as they should. I mean, the real failure is is a political failure to actually follow through on the democratic tradition and follow through on ensuring that the institutions of the state, democratic institutions, are those things which uh, control the fate of people, not of private interests. But the failures are, are more political than corporate. That the fault lies in the political class potentially with this. Yeah, I mean, with the political class, I mean, bearing in mind that much of those changes that that we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years have actually been done under pressure from corporations Mm. um, as well. So if anything, it's about the relationship between the public and the private sphere that uh, needs attention and the relationship between government and corporations and the nature of what that's trying to achieve. And essentially, who's in charge? Is it the rich and the powerful who are in, in charge, or is it us as sovereign citizens of, of the nations that we uh, that we live in? So in that sense, then, the solve could potentially be additional forms of regulation, disclosures to electoral donations, potentially, stuff along those lines to remedy this sort of situation? I think so. I think that is the case. And many things, you know, uh, regulatory things like that would certainly help. That all needs to be located in a broader shift in the political sensibility of people about the value of politics. And to be frank, You know, in the course of my lifetime, we have seen that deteriorate. And the question is, who will be the new leaders? Who will be the next generation of leaders who can resurrect the vitally important spirit of democracy and keep it alive for future generations? Poignant note to end on in that sense, a a bit of a call to arms. Is there anything else you'd like to communicate to myself or to listeners before we go? Uh, Only to say thanks very much for the opportunity. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Carl. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. That's all for today. 
Thank you to my guest, Carl Rhodes. You can catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. And don't forget to tell your friends or leave a review. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Thanks for listening.